You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Well, um, we're very privileged to have Wes um, to speak with us. Take away, Wes. Hi, everybody. My name is Wes. Um, I've been in this community for years now. Um, and with Johnny on a bit of a break this summer, we've been passing talking duties around, right? So last week was Jordan, the week before I think it was Bethany, yes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hannah's spoken, Kristen has spoken. Um, so I'm going to offer you some thoughts. I, I was given a, a passage to, to talk about today based on the lectionary, right? Which is the church's calendar of organizing which passages of scripture show up every week based on you know, the, the cycle of the year. So today there were two. One is Luke 12, the end of Luke 12. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty intense, pretty austere, pretty dire passage. Um, I tried to write a talk on that one. I got through an outline and was like, I'm just not feeling this. Um, so I wrote a talk for the other passage, which is the one I'm gonna give you. This is uh, Hebrews 11:29. To 12 verses 2. So if you want to read that, go ahead. But I'm going, to, I'm going to introduce us to this book of Hebrews, introduce us to this passage, and introduce you to myself as well, give you some sense of like where I come from. I'm going to, I'm going to go through this together. So to start with, can we, can we get the slides up? The slides. Danka. All right. I am a child of immigrants, um, and I'll bet you are too. <laughs> I think we all are. Um, This is a picture of my my grandparents. These are a few pictures of my grandparents. I found these in a plastic bag in their house after my grandfather died. We were emptying out the house and these were all tiny, tiny, tiny little photographs. So I'm talking about like an inch square, Um, like postage stamp size pictures because when they were taking these pictures, they didn't have enough money to get them developed large enough. So they just took a lot and got them developed small so that they could fit in a suitcase as they traveled and they didn't have to pay extra for the, the, the larger amount of paper and ink, right? So these are from the 50s, these are from earlier than that. Um, I don't know what all of them mean. I don't know where all of them come from. In fact, I don't really know where any of them come from. I just have the pictures. Um, my Gong Gong, that's him in the top in the middle. And my Nai, Nai Nai, she's also in here in various places. Uh, the, the word Da is covering up her face over in the bottom left. They immigrated to the U.S. in the late 1950s. Um, they were fleeing the chaos and the revolutions of, and the wars in China at that time. They were getting out. Uh, they made it to Taiwan, and then eventually to Angel Island, and through Houston, eventually to New York, um, where they set up a life. Um, next slide, please. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. The Chinese Exclusion Act was in place when my family came, so um, that meant that Chinese immigrants were not welcome. The U.S. government had barred entry. So the only reason that my grandparents were able to come was because of America's interest in their skills and talents as doctors. Okay? That's why they were given green cards and visas. Uh, they rose to prominent positions in their fields because they were the, the cream of the crop. They were the top of their graduating class from Taiwan in medical school, and they rose to the top of their positions in Manhattan as well. They worked at NYU. Um, my Gong Gong was the top of his field in radiology. And then my Nai Nai, she, was the, she set up NYU's first genetics lab. They were stars. 
they were excellent um, because the government required them to be, right? They, are, they were the survivors of that policy. Um, there's a common joke that Asian Americans all want to be doctors. You've heard this, right? Um, I have two things to say about this. One, uh, my grandparents were not only doctors, my grandpa, my Gong Gong, he was the president of the Chinese American Medical Association. <laughs> So among Chinese-American doctors, they all said, no, he's the doctor. He's the best of us. <laughs> so he was like the doctor among Chinese-American doctors. So there definitely was pressure in my house growing up to like succeed, to be, you know, to achieve, to hit this high standard of performance. Um, and this, it, same with Anna. I mean, she, she, we didn't have like, well, there weren't a lot of books around their house, but there were all the who's who. Did you ever read those who's who books? Did you ever see those in the library? Because she was always in them somewhere, right? She was a mover and shaker in the genetics world. Very cool. Um, the second thing about that joke about Asian Americans always wanting to be doctors is that that sounds like a cultural thing, right? That Asian Americans just naturally want. That's not, that's not natural. That's not innate. That's a result of policy. It's a result of government policy, right? Um, they're welcome. This is a long shadow cast by the US government on Asian Americans, and Chinese Americans especially, um, that we were excluded except for the kinds of skills that we brought to the table. Um, so their welcome to the US was conditional, right? And thus, they made use of that welcome in whatever ways they could. Um, so they were the best damn doctors they could be. That's, uh, that's their story. The walls of America were designed to keep them out, but, slide, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. You can see my mom in the middle there with my grandparents. And then there they are at the Field Museum in Chicago. I wonder why these pictures are stretched. But. I wonder what would have happened to my Nai if she hadn't made it out of, out of Shanghai uh, before the communists took over, but she was on one of the last boats in 1949 before the whole country changed and the borders locked down. Um, her father was educated in the West, so he was educated at the University of Wisconsin as an engineer. Um, so her heritage and her Western affiliation would not have been popular if she had stayed in communist China. Her parents had already left by 49. They'd left in like 47 or 48 uh, to Taiwan, and she had stayed behind to finish her education. She was a senior in high school. Um, but she ended up having to leave before her senior year was over because it was getting too intense. The violence was too much. Um, the chaos was too great. And uh, by faith, can I have one more slide? By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies of peace. Um, so I think you can see what I'm doing here, right? I'm, I'm reading my family's story at the same time as we're walking through these passages from Hebrews, right? The ways in which Hebrews is a collection of stories of people saying, this is where the people of our tradition have come from. This is what they did by faith. And I'm giving you the stories of my family, and I'm, I'm, I'm intertwining them. Um, it's, it's not a great fit. <laughs> it's actually not even a fit at all. Like, I'm not saying that those who stayed in China were disobedient or that my Nai Nai was a prostitute. <laughs> um, but I am saying that there's no way to read these histories without also seeing ourselves written into them. Right? When we read these stories, I also wonder, like, are these my stories? Is my family part of this? Right? I think it's important to contrast that, or to see them on top of each other, even if it's just to recognize differences. But you may be surprised by some of the commonalities that you see. As we're reading the Bible, I think this is a practice that we all bring to it, right? We bring our histories, our stories, and then we also have this common thread coming through books like Hebrews that also tell us where the faith is from. Um, 
This book is called Hebrews. Okay, uh, if you if you've never read it, it is um, the assumed audience of this book is that it was a letter to a group of people, presumably Hebrew people, um, who had a connection to Jesus. Right? They were committed to Jesus Christ, but they were also Jewish. Um, and the as far as the authorship, there's not very clear answers, but people think that it was. Um, uh, that, some, that they were writing back to Italy from somewhere outside of Italy. That's like really all they know. Because at the end of the letter they say, greetings from those who are from Italy. Um, assuming that they might be writing back to their friends back in Italy. So what we have is a letter presumably written by someone who was in Rome, who's now outside Rome, but who's Jewish, but also a Christian who speaks Greek, writing back to other Greek-speaking Jews who are Christians in Rome. Okay, It's very mixed up. Very, very mixed up. And the one word we get in the title is Hebrews, as if that explains any of that, right? Um, I think that's funny, because the mixed upness is exactly what I resonate with. I resonate with that very much. I am a Chinese-American Christian man living in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I don't even have geographic roots here, right? Like, I am mixed up in the way that the audience to this book is also mixed up. Um, I grew up all over the world. My I, I grew up in Chicago, I went to high school in East Africa, and my family right now are still spread across the world. My, my parents are in Shanghai, I have siblings in Berlin, and Oakland, and Kentucky, and Chicago. Um, we're all over the place. And so when I, when I hear stories being told about where we come from, right, that's, that, that scratches an itch for me. That's something that I'm interested in. Um, that liminality, the transitoriness of this audience, and the author of Hebrews, that speaks to me profoundly, right? Maybe you also hear that for yourself. I, the telling of these stories is, it's hard to identify a specific place where I come from, right? When people ask me, where are you from? It's hard for me to identify one place. Maybe you also have that struggle, right? You've been from a lot of places, you've been from a lot of backgrounds. A lot of streams have come together to produce you and where you are now. Um, and that's, that's exactly the kind of person that, that Hebrews is for. I think that's exciting, right? Uh, even though we're not Jewish at all. <laughs> um, the rest of this Hebrews passage, we can read that next. What more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped to the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not, without us, be made perfect. I love thinking about this trajectory of history, all these stories sort of stacking up on top of each other, um, rather than like a single like line of history where everything is like nice and clean and moving from one person straight onto the next. This is like a stacking, right? There's like so many things happening at once and coming from different directions. Um, it's like, like warp and weft. Can I get one more slide? Uh, 
what I like thinking about when I read Hebrews and when I think about my story is that the faith, books like Hebrews, the scriptures, give us you know, one set of stories that come one direction and then our story weaves in, in a different direction, right? We're of course not contemporary. We're not moving at the same time. But there's something happening that gives sense or structure to our story as well as our lived experience helps us understand what we read from the past. They, they go together, right? And the structure that comes to mind for me is like this lattice, right? Where you need the two to keep both in order, to keep both straight and pointing in the right direction. Um, I would love to, there's so many parts of my, my Chinese history that sort of, if you can go back one slide, sort of like the, the author refers to here. So it's like, whoops, there we go. Oh, there's all these other people that I'd love to tell you about. I want to know the other people in my history. There's all these people in my history that I don't know who they are, and I'll never know who they are, right? There's so many strands in my Chinese history that I'll never get to meet because I, they, no one recorded it. No one told me. Like, there might be towns in China where I could walk in and recognize people who look like me or have the mannerisms of my Gong Gong or my Nai Nai, but I don't know where they are, right? That's kind of what this feels like. There's so many other people who have brought us to where we are now, like given us the things, the tools that we take for granted, the things that we know, like this is what it means to live well. And the, by faith, we know that they were there, you know, because we have the evidence of how we live now or, or what, what still works for us now, the faith tradition that's been given to us. I, I just have so many curiosities. Like I know the names Gideon and Brock, Samson, Jeff, that there's that, those are real people in the Bible. You can go back and read those stories if you haven't. But there's all those other figures that, whose names you don't even know. I'd love to know those stories, because that's how I feel about my family, looking back. Um, so I hope by, in faith, like reading a book like Hebrews and thinking through my family story, like that honors parts of my family that maybe I can't remember. Not because I'm bad at memory, but because it's, the stories are lost, right? They're just gone. Uh, and so I remember those when I read things that we do have, right? think through, like, there are other, other figures in my past, other mothers and fathers who, who I, uh, I want to know their stories. That's the Chinese side of my story, um, but I'm not only Chinese. I am also white, as many of you maybe can tell. Uh, my father's side is from all over Europe. Um, immigrants through the East Coast and through Canada, eventually making their way to the Detroit area. So I'll admit, it's different to read Hebrews and the story of an oppressed people like the Jews when I'm looking at this side of my family's history, which is mostly given one benefit after another by the U.S. government. It's a different reading, right? It's different to read the, them on top of each other. I don't have the same positionality, right? Um, it's very possible to just avoid the discomfort and fudge the edges of this history to make it fit comfortably with how I want to imagine my white family history that it wasn't problematic, that it wasn't involved in all the systems of injustice that America has built. But if I'm looking at the facts, my family, the white side of my family, benefited from redlining in Detroit. Um, my grandparents moved out of Detroit's urban center in Gross Point, out to the suburbs at the time when it was very common for white folks to leave the center of the city um, and move out to the suburbs and all the wealth that came with that, abandoning black folks to the red line districts that were, were basically, you know, districts of poverty the government had, had built. Um, my grandpa was a builder, so he built those subdivisions that white families moved to. My family accumulated wealth 
based on that movement, on that migration. Right? Both sides of my grandparents ended up with sizable wealth at the end of their lives, actually. Um, who is more deserving of that wealth? Is either side's good fortune a reflection of the grace of God on our family? Or the preferences of US policy? Probably more the latter. You know? Both sides of my grandparents were also committed to the Christian faith. So they identified as Christians in ways that opened them up to community and inclusion and these histories that we're describing. They built a real sense of belonging and inclusion within the story of Christianity. So whose Christianity is more faithful or real or true? Is God's faithfulness more or less evident in one side of my family's history than the other? It's uncomfortable to think about this. But there is the reality that both sides of this are very messy. It's not clean, it's very mixed up. So I'm expressing some confusion about my hybridity, right? About being in the middle of multiple different strands of stories coming together. I don't really know how this fits together, particularly. I'm not only Chinese, I'm not only white, I'm not only American, I'm not even really only Christian. Like, there's a bunch of things, you know, that all mean. I have to make sense of them as they mix. My story isn't cleanly one of just oppression against my ancestors, right? But it's also not just a story of oppression by my ancestors. I have both. My blood and my body speak of this mixing, right? I don't look very cleanly like one category or another. And my history and my faith also speaks of this too. There's all this mixing, this hybridity, this liminality, this sitting in between, this confusion. But, I will say, if I'm pointing this towards something creative, I do think our, our context as Christians, and even in America, if I can be so bold, uh, gives us some tools to think about this kind of liminality and, and to live into it wholeheartedly, to make some sense of this. Um, sure, parts of our stories are miserable and oppressive, and other parts are joyous and liberative, right? Um, but if we could revisit verse 39, I think one more slide. Yes. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, without us, be made perfect. Whoops, back. No spoilers. What I hear is the author of Hebrews extending these stories into the present, right? Saying what, they, what happened then didn't finish then. It's continuing on now. It's made perfect in our stories now. Um, they're still in process. The stories that you think ended back when these folks lived didn't end. Those strands are still weaving now. They're still being figured out. They're still being brought to a complete joy, something that was promised to them. In us, there's something that's going on in us that connects back. Um, the rest of the passage is, is really exciting as well. Can we go one more slide? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I think there's, a, there's an interesting tendency to 
Well, let me say this. That back in, oh, sorry. Back in the time when this letter was written, if you were Jewish thinking about this cloud of witnesses, maybe you were thinking about a purely Jewish cloud of witnesses. Um, but now, who's in your cloud of witnesses? Is it all Jewish people? No, but it definitely includes, because we are part of a Jewish faith tradition, something that originates in Judaism. Um, some of us, I think, by, by blood, most of us, but not, just because we've been included, we've been invited in, we're guests in this story. Um, but my story is full of, of, of a cloud of witnesses that are from across the globe, from other members of my cloud of witnesses. Right? These ancestors aren't, wouldn't necessarily get along if they were to meet. But I'm part of that story, right? They've woven into where I am now. And now I'm here with you, figuring this out with you. Um, in my personality and in my disposition, I tend to be conflict avoidant. <laughs> if you know me, I tend to prefer the status quo and being smooth and easy. That's how I tend to do things. Um, but my background, and let me be clear, all of our backgrounds are fundamentally mixed and divided and even in conflict with each other. If we look back to our stories, the more you look, the more conflict you will find. The more things that are out of balance, or things that run into each other. And the writer of Hebrews doesn't pretend otherwise. Some of these ancestors were victorious, some were defeated, some were wealthy rulers, some were tortured martyrs. There's the whole mix. And the weaving of their stories continues to this day, like I said. And I think what, I mean, what, what energizes me about this is that God sees this conflict in our past and is a part of it, and is the weaver. The one who takes those, weave, those strands of conflicting stories and, and is working to figure out how they fit together. Um, the conflict is still being worked out. It's not entirely just us. <laughs> God is at work in the conflict of weaving. Um, the division and, the, and the, the confusion persists, but it isn't final, right? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Those things aren't permanent. Uh, there's something else happening that's, that's giving order to this. So I think about like our church's current moment and our struggle with race and the way we've been reckoning with our own role in oppressive systems and abuse in our, in our own community. And I think about also our decades-long history as a church, a circle of hope, with fighting injustice. We also have that. Right? We have both of those stories as part of, part of Circle of Hope's history. They're both there. We can't ignore either of them. They're both there forever. They will always be there. And those stories come to meet us now. Right? Those strands, just like in Hebrews, are coming to us sitting in this room now. And they don't fit well together. Right? We've had really beautiful moments of faithfulness and some really disastrous times of abuse and harm. Both of them. And frankly, I don't, I don't know what to do with them. I just know that we, we can recognize both of them. And the confusion of both of them is part of what the Bible is, is helping us see, can fit together. There is something happening with these, these disparate strands that God is weaving. It would be really easy to just pick and choose which of our histories to affirm and remember. And I think I do this. Right? Sometimes on down days, I only think about the bad stuff. Uh, Circle of Hope, is, my joke, is called Circle of Nope on days when I'm very displeased with the church. Um, and then there are other times where I, I don't think about that. I'm like, no, we, we, we've got this. We can, we can really figure this out. Our choices are going to work out in the end. I think it's easy to slip into either side of that. 
Um, that's why I think a book like Hebrews is really helpful. Um, because it reminds us that the mess, the collision of all of these stories, is exactly what we're going to have for the rest of our lives. <laughs> what he's basically saying is like these folks, um, they, they died before they saw everything come to completion, to perfection, right? They were operating in faith that someday these things would make sense. And they didn't see it, but their, their kids will. You know? Maybe we're the ones who are seeing some of the things that they hoped for. Maybe our kids, maybe the next generations will think, see things that we hope for right now. I think it's pretty ridiculous that God weaves in the kind of oppressive people that are included in the Bible, right? It's, it's, it's actually pretty unfair that some of these people get included. It's problematic, I guess you could say, right? Like Zacchaeus, a tax collector, gets included um, as someone who is a reflection of the gospel. Like that guy, that guy was, a, was an ass, you know? And he changed. Transformation came to his house. Would you say that it was because Zacchaeus figured it out for himself? No, it was because Jesus said, please, come, try something new. And Zacchaeus responded, and he did change. And he's part of the story. Similarly, Paul, the like giant of writing a lot of these, these letters from the New Testament, he was a murderer. <laughs> he killed people. And he was on his way to kill another Christian when Jesus zapped him and said, no, your story can change. You, you can stop doing this. That gives me a lot of energy. That really makes me happy that people can change that, right? That stories can change their trajectory. Um, I just imagine what it must have been like at dinner, dinners in the, in the early church when Paul would show up and everyone's like, that guy killed a bunch of us. Like, Why is he here? You know, and they're like, well, you know, he's a Christian now. <laughs> but our friends are dead. <laughs> he's here. Why is he here? Like, that's really problematic. And yet, that's the story that Hebrews is weaving together, right? It's giving us these paths of how all these members of the faith. Jesus is doing something else and weaving together things that we can't fully understand. I take comfort knowing that God sees all this messiness, that there isn't some alternative version of history that's much cleaner, that God is curating, right, for the, the sanctified and holy people. No, God, God is as much in the mess as we are, with all the canceling and all the uh, racism, like everything that we're struggling to figure out, God is in this with us. Um, and I get excited thinking about that completed or that perfected joy that we might access in, in future years, in future generations. When people look back and say, wow, they struggled hard. They really fought. And now we see the fruit of their labors. They did get something right. And, and even though they didn't get to see it, like we see it now. I think of it like planting sequoias, you know? You plant a sequoia and you'll never get to see it. Uh, just see, you just put the seed in and you just hope that future generations will take care of it. Well, that's like, that's like what Hebrews is describing. A story that goes on way longer. So, that's what I have to share. I hope that's helpful. I have one more slide. Uh, this is sort of a, an overview of what I was saying. I tried to do the thing that Hannah did a few weeks ago um, and give you something to talk about. But before we break into groups for talk back, I'd like to pray and, uh, and then we'll chat. Holy Spirit, as we look back on the stories, as we think back on the threads of history, of the places where we've been the oppressor, where we've been the ones inflicting cruelty, and also places where we've been abused, places where we've been harmed, where we weren't at fault. 
God, would you bring healing and reconciliation? Help us to live faithfully, even if we don't know where we're going. <laughs> to be the people that you're inviting us to be, the right place and the right time. Yeah, give us the courage to live like the ancestors have. And the energy to, to pass this to future generations, even when we don't know where it's going. It's through you that all things will be made whole. And we feel it already. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.